Let's uh, jump ahead, actually, uh, to our text. And uh, I was actually going to have you read part of this along with me. Uh, This is actually what some have argued was the first confession of the Christian church. And so uh, if you could bear with me, catch up with me back in the back. If we could jump to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. So jump down to verse 6, and then we'll come back and pick up the rest of it in just a second. And uh, go ahead and read along with me with these words. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. Please be seated. So that's uh, our text for today, kind of jumping ahead there on you and where we'll be going in a minute. But uh, as long as we were standing, I figured we might as well uh, together confess those words as those were some of the first words that, that the church gravitated towards and said, this is who we are. This is what we're about. Uh, that song uh, that we just sung is one of those songs uh, that speaks to my heart and, and talks about who we are as people and how we have a God that we can trust. But how did the church interpret and read those first words? What was kind of the big idea behind that confession of faith? Uh, Let's jump back and go to Philippians uh, chapter 2 and pick up at verse 1 and uh, just the first five verses there. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the, same, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus." That's what leads into that first confession of faith that some have said, that this is the first thing that people confessed as Christians, and various scholars argue that, and you know, I don't know it, but it certainly came before the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, other words that have identified who we are. But, but what leads into that is the idea that we, as God's people, that we as followers of Jesus are to become like him. And so from the very beginning, the whole point of the thing is that that God's people would begin to resemble their God. Uh, That in us, people would begin to see who our God is and, and what he is about. And I don't know about you, well, not all of you, I know about me, and I know that sometimes that's a struggle, Uh, that I I know my life and that that my life doesn't look like I know that it should look. And so then the question is, what is it 
that gets in the way? Uh, Why is it that our lives do not look more like Jesus? Because I know that if I were to speak for myself, I, I want that for myself. I want my life to look more like Jesus. I want my life to look more like Jesus for my daughters. I want my life to look more like Jesus for my wife. I want my life to look more like Jesus for the people that he has placed in my life, uh, the people that, that God has given me to love and to care about. So what is it that gets in the way? And I think the thing is, especially for us here in Orange County, it's something that's called ordinary life, real life. You see, the thing that, that happens to us is we get busy. And I don't know about you, but I've found that here in Orange County, more so than any other place that I've ever lived, is a place where life gets busy. And when life is busy, you just go, jump through the list of to-dos, one thing after another after another, and you just keep on going. And at the end of the day, you want to veg out, zone out, check out, and you don't ask any of those big questions those important questions, those questions of navigation in life that tell you where you're going. You know, why am I doing all this? What is all this for? What is the purpose of this? What is my life amounting to? Does it really make any difference at all? And why am I doing all these things that I have to check off each and every day? What difference does it make? Great author uh, some years ago named uh, C.S. Lewis I wrote this book that is a a fiction book, at least I hope it's a fiction book, uh, Screwtape Letters. And and it's about a a senior devil writing to his nephew, a junior devil who's still out on the tempting fields working with their patients, uh, trying to win them for uh, their father, who is below, who is, of course, Satan. And he talks about this right at the beginning of this book. I'd like to share just this little excerpt with you. He says, I once had a sound a patient, a sound atheist who used to read in the British Museum. One day he sat and I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, Jesus, of course, was right at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years of work beginning to totter. If I lost my head and begun to attempt a defense by argument, I surely would have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. The enemy presumably made the counter-suggestion. You know how you can never quite overhear what he says to them, that this was more important than lunch. At least I think that's what he must have said. For I said quite, in fact, much too important to tackle at the end of a morning. The patient brightened up considerably, and by the time I had added, much better to come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind. He was already halfway out the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he had reached the bottom of the steps, I got into his mind the unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he must have meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that that sort of thing just couldn't be true. See, I think the same thing happens to us. We get busy. Our minds are filled with all sorts of different things, and and we jump from one thing to the next, and we ever ask the big questions. 
the big questions that determine who we are and what we are about. And that creed that we read together a few minutes ago tells us who we are and what we're about and what type of people we are supposed to become. And so how do we get from where we are in the flow of ordinary life to that place where we're wrestling with the big question, who God has made us to be? I'd like you to take you to another part of Scripture, Exodus chapter 3. Maybe this story is familiar to some of you. It's uh, the story of Moses and the burning bush. And uh, I think this is what snaps us out, which causes us to stop and to breathe and to fall back and ask those big and hard questions of life. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Always kind of wondered what else you say to that. And he says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his faith because he was afraid to look at God. See, I think that's what we need. Burning bushes things that don't fit our conception of reality, the way that we frame our world and our lives, things that cause us in a moment to go, wait a second, I've got to go check this out. And I kind of wondered, you know, what would have happened if Moses would have looked at his watch and said, Zipporah's got dinner on right now, it's 8 o'clock, i got to get the flock home. How often do we do that? How often is God trying to speak to us, to reach us and saying, there's something more going on here than meets your eye. You need to come and check it out. You need to pause. You need to reflect. And we go, I got to go. I got things to get done. I've got places to be. I've got people that I need to spend time with. And we miss those moments that God is trying to reach out to us, to tap us on the shoulder and say, life is more than you think it is, and I am up to something far bigger. In my experience, these type of burning bushes come in in a few different forms, and I'm sure there's more than I can think of. One is that, that inexplicable thought, that thought that doesn't fit our reality, like the guy had in the British Museum. Another is a trouble. A trouble that comes along and falls in our lives and blows up everything and makes us question where our life is. I know that's a little bit of where I've spent some time recently, is dealing with trouble. Uh, Sometimes it's a person, a a person that falls into our lives and and they don't fit, they don't act, they don't work like everyone else. And we, we look at them and we know that something's different about them and We're not quite sure. They're like us, but different, and they make us ask questions about who we are and where we're going. And then the final thing is is a sense of emptiness, an emptiness that kind of, you know, passes our understanding. And at least my experience is is that sometimes in life we get our, our minds, our lives fixed on something. We say, if I just had that, then life would be great. 
And then we get that. And the thing that we were looking for wasn't in that. And in those moments, God's reaching out to us, inviting us to turn aside, inviting us to consider, to question, to, to wonder, to ask those big questions of life. Inviting us to read and to think and to become vulnerable. And I know that, that for me, dealing with the trouble, dealing with the emptiness, dealing with those, those unpleasant things of life is not pleasant. But it's done a good thing for my spirit, for my soul. It's made me more tender. It's made me more loving. And by the grace of God, I hope that it has made me a little bit more like Jesus. But how do you get there? Dad shared a story with me about a, a man that was on hospice. And he's like, you know, I've kind of known how to be a Christian my whole life, but now that my life is, is coming to an end, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know how to talk to God. I, I don't know what to do with this. And the pastor said to him, you just need to pretend like Jesus is right there beside you, that he's sitting there in that chair beside your bed. And just talk to him. Just talk to him and share with him what's going on like you would any other person. A few weeks later, uh, the man's daughter uh, came into the pastor's office and said, you know, my dad died last night, but the, the strangest thing happened. My dad was out of the bed with his arms wrapped around the chair. Talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the emptiness, in the midst of those thoughts that you can't quite make sense of. Talk to Jesus as you think about that person that is different. So the first step to becoming more like Jesus is to turn aside. Let those little contradictions that you see in life turn you aside from the normal flow of, of everyday life that just seems to get you caught up. Turn aside and spend time. Read, think, become vulnerable. Ask the big questions, the hard questions of life. And there see the biggest contradiction. See the very love of God, Jesus Christ himself, throw himself into the fire of God's holiness and become consumed for you. The contradiction that is at the center of Scripture. You see, there's two types of gods that, that most of the world has. Most of the world either has a, a God of holiness if you have a God of holiness, then God is a vengeful, wrathful God. And if you're perfect enough, if you're good enough, you can earn your way in. But that's not a fiery, out-of-control God, is it? Because you can control him. You can control him by your own efforts. And the other type of God that a lot of people have is the loving God. You know, the, the Will Rogers God, the I love you just the way you are God. And yet neither one of those gods are the God of Scripture. God is a God of complete 
holiness and at the same time a God of complete love. And the only way that those through things can come together is in the person of Jesus. The person in whom the love and the holiness of God meet. And so if you want to be like Jesus, don't leave that, don't move away from that. Because Jesus Christ the very person you want to be like, the very person that God intends for you to grow into is the person that you must see in order to become like him. And the degree to which you see that, the degree to which that becomes real to you, will be the degree to which you become like him. And Jesus will make you into a burning bush. Something that causes people to turn aside to ask the question, See, the thing is, is, is when we become Christians, we don't turn into great big redwoods, great big tall trees that look different than everybody else, that are holier than everybody else. We're still bushes. That's what Luther said, simul justus et peccator, sinner and saint. Still a bush just like everybody else, but a bush in whom the holiness of God dwells by his grace. A person that's different. A person that by grace and love looks different than the world around them, that loves and forgives and lives with passion, that sings in spite of sorrow and has a joy that is unshakable because the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, in whom love and holiness meet for you, loves. Amen. You know, the thing is, we seek Jesus. We seek Jesus in those hard moments of life. Uh, When trouble and dying and when we feel alone. What we need to do is seek Jesus when we rise. So that each and every day we live with Jesus and are shaped with Jesus.